Hey, you know that over the last number of weeks, we've made a series of big announcements. Two weeks ago, we announced we're buying a building. Last week, we announced we're renting a stadium. And this morning, we have another announcement for you as well. I, I think it's actually equally as important to what we've previously announced. I so believe that the Church of Jesus Christ exists not just for a 75-minute service on a Sunday morning, but that this would be a house of transformation and development Monday through Friday, where people are experiencing the goodness of God, their minds are being developed by the truth of God, until not one person in this community has been unimpacted uh, by the reality of what Jesus is doing in this place. And so today, we are, we are announcing that in September, a month from now, we are launching AM and PM preschool, as well as our very first kindergarten program here at the church. And not just that, but we are announcing today that by next fall, we will have up and running our very first Pursuit Elementary School coming very soon. Come on, our young people deserve quality education. Come on, our young people deserve Christian education. And it's my heart and passion to give every parent the opportunity to send their kids to Christian school if they so desire. So not only are we gonna build an elementary school, but God's gonna give us land to build a middle school and to build a high school. And we're gonna offer quality Christian education to our young people. And so we're excited about that. Continue to pray with us as we walk in that direction. And of course, next week, we're doing something we have never done before here at the church, something very special called our Heart for Pursuit offering, where we are encouraging people to go above and beyond to help fund the vision for the days that are ahead. And so prepare your hearts even now. Ask the Lord how you could partner with us. We are just excited and filled with faith and hope. And I'm declaring every day this week, my God will supply according to his riches in glory, which is in Christ Jesus. And so we are filled with faith and confidence. God has done it before. In fact, he has a very incredible track record of resourcing his people. The church of Jesus Christ will advance. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God and of our King. And to the increase of his rulership, and government, there will be no end. And so we are a part of an ever-increasing kingdom that is taking ground in the Pacific Northwest. Seattle is not our last step, it is our next step. And until the glory of God covers the nation like the waters cover the earth, this church has a mandate to grow and expand. So that is who we are, that is the type of God that we serve, that's the type of church that we're gonna build, and we're gonna raise our kids in revival. It is not just a tag line it is a promise from the Lord for a move of his spirit is an inheritance for God's people this is our hour to come alive to the fullness of what God desires to do there has never been a better time to be alive do not buy into the negativity and the pessimism of the world around you the church of Jesus Christ has never been stronger we have never been better the enemy is losing ground every day of the week we're gonna give hell a panic attack because the church is advancing by force and we will see his kingdom come 
and his will be done in the Northwest, even as it's being done in heaven. This is an hour of awakening and encounter and revival for the church of Jesus Christ. So I'm turned up. Anyways, this morning I'm gonna share with you out of the Gospel of Luke and in chapter 19, where the Bible tells us a story of a very familiar character that I imagine most of you have heard about in this room before. But I believe that this story shares with us and illuminates certain principles that are of the utmost importance for us to apply to our lives in this hour. Starting in Luke 19 and in verse 1, the Bible says this, Then Jesus, he entered and passed through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And the Bible says he was rich. See, Jericho was a major trade route in the early first century. It was used to transport goods and services in and out of the Roman Empire. It was the road that Jesus referenced when telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. It was a road that pilgrims traveled as they headed towards Jerusalem. And it was the same road that a man named Zacchaeus sat by and collected taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire every day of his life. Oh, there was a reason Zacchaeus was rich. He ripped people off for a living. And those who worked under him were expected to follow in like manner. Tax collectors were as hated then as they are now. But this was more than just a tax. It was the Roman government abusing their power to further oppress an already destitute people in an attempt to fund their militaristic expansions. Zacchaeus wasn't just disliked, he was despised. He was hated for his cooperation with the evil empire. He was ostracized from his community because of his betrayal. He was shunned for his associations. A Jew ripping off his brothers and sisters to support the same governmental system that was oppressing them every day of their lives. Zacchaeus was so good at ripping people off, the Romans made him the chief tax collector. Anytime I think my job is tough, I just thank God I don't work for the IRS. And Jesus is walking on the road to Jericho, and he is interrupted by a man who will do anything just to get a glimpse of the one that he's heard rumors of. A rabbi who walks in miracle power. A teacher who speaks with anointed authority. A healer who operates in signs, wonders, and miracles. Luke knows exactly what he is doing when he tells this story. The dichotomy between Zacchaeus the selfish and Jesus the extravagant could not be any more obvious. But it is the starkness of the contrast that helps illuminate the power of the gospel. No matter where you're at or what you've done or what's been done to you, when you see the master, everything in your life begins to change. And here's what I love. Jesus interjects himself into the story. He fundamentally transforms the life of this individual for all of eternity. And all Jesus did was pass through his city. 
When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the Bible says the whole city was moved. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a paralyzed man got up and walked. When Jesus entered the land of the Gadarenes, the demonized were set free. When Jesus entered Jairus' house, a little girl was resurrected from the dead. When Jesus entered the temple, the merchants' tables were flipped upside down. There is no place that Jesus enters that is not fundamentally transformed as a result of his presence. And that same Jesus is passing through our city today, and there is no telling what his presence will transform if we just give him the room to work. I love that Luke tells us Zacchaeus is rich. And never once does Jesus ever take a position against you having money. But in nearly every gospel and all across the Pauline epistles, the biblical authors take a stand against money having you. In Matthew 6 and 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, for you cannot serve God and money. A few verses later, he says it like this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The apostle Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money is the root of all evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. Hear me, friend. When money is your master, greed is your spiritual gift. When money is your master, selfishness is your spiritual attitude. When money is your master, it doesn't matter how much you have because it will never be enough. But when Jesus is your master, money is a tool to build with, not a God to be worshiped. When Jesus is your master, stewardship and obedience is your spiritual attitude. When Jesus is your master, regardless of how much you have, you have learned the joy that comes from being a cheerful giver. You know, the Bible offers about 500 verses on prayer, another 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money, tithing, possessions, and giving. In fact, 15% of everything Jesus ever taught was on the topic of money and possessions. And why is this the case? Because the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Hear me. There seems to be two competing yet equally unhealthy positions on money in the church today. The first is this. The more holy I am, the more righteous I am, the more faith I got, the less money I'll have. I call this the poverty gospel. But the second is this. The more holy I am and the more righteous I am and the more faith I got, the more money I'll have. And I call this the prosperity gospel. What if the amount of money you have today has nothing to do with how righteous or unrighteous you are and everything to do with the amount of responsibility God has given you to steward those resources? See, in the parable of the talents, Jesus says, the master gave to one five, another two, and another one. 
The question is not how much do I have, but instead what am I doing with whatever God has given me? Friend, whether you make 50,000 a year or 500,000 a year, the mandate is the same. Steward your resources in such a way that they build God's kingdom and never allow it to become the object of your worship. People get nervous anytime you talk about money in the church because for so many of you, you have suffered under bad manipulative teaching in the past. And can I tell you, God isn't after your money, he's after your heart. But when he's got your heart, he'll get your treasure as well. And I know the Lord loves a cheerful giver, but most churches love any type of giver. And I'm here to tell you today, if you give God your money, but you don't give him your heart, it doesn't make you holy, it makes you hopeless. We give God our hearts first, and out of the heart, everything else flows. You know, about two months ago, somebody sent a nasty email to the church and they was upset at me and they said, if that pastor's gonna be up there preaching on stage, he needs to dress nicer for Jesus. I said, okay. So I went out and I bought some nicer clothes. Tried to class it up a little bit. That person came back a month and a half later. Guess what? Another nasty email to the church. I can't believe that pastor is up there preaching in those nice clothes. <laughs> and I thought to myself, we have so allowed the world to disciple us on the subject of money that instead of viewing it from God's perspective as a redemptive tool for the building of the kingdom of God, we often use it as a weapon to hurt other people who are either poorer than we want or richer than we like. And if we can take a step back from the reactive theology that has so poisoned the way that we view money, we could understand it's not mine to begin with, it belongs to him. I am here on loan from God. The treasure I have is on loan from God. It was from him, I owe it back to him because he is the father of light and every good and perfect gift come from the father above. And so if I'm in a season of plenty, I'm gonna give him my worship. And if I'm in a season of wilderness, I'm give him my worship because I refuse to allow the stock market or the bank account to control the temperature of my praise. My allegiance belongs to Jesus. Now watch. The Bible says he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for Jesus was gonna pass that way. Hear me, it wasn't his stature that prevented him from seeing Jesus, it was his perspective. Zacchaeus wasn't blinded by his height, he was blinded by his wealth. See, when you're blinded by wealth, instead of money being your servant, it becomes your master. When you're blinded by wealth, instead of money being your passenger, it becomes your driver. When you're blinded by wealth, instead of loving people and using money, you end up loving money and using people. Yeah. Zacchaeus was a short man, but that isn't really what blocks him from seeing Jesus. It's the fact that his vision had so been distorted by a shallow and temporary version of life. Listen, friend, the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. 
but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You can't afford to have Jesus in your heart, but Babylon in your bank account. You cannot afford to think like the world thinks about resources, else you will find yourself living for the wrong king, supporting the wrong kingdom, and investing in the wrong outcomes. And if you become successful at things that don't matter, then what was the point of it anyways? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? See, we are playing for keeps in the Northwest. We are managers of eternity in the Northwest. And what we do here counts for the next generation. Do you know what coming to church is like? It's like climbing a sycamore tree so that you can gain a new perspective. See, it's my job as a preacher to show you Jesus. But it's your job as a listener to look in his direction as he is walking by. And what do you see when you climb the ladder of faith? I see an entire region coming to know Jesus. I see an elementary school, a middle school, and a high school getting started. I see a stadium getting filled. I see a worship album getting released. I see another campus getting planted. I see another city getting reached. I see another missionary being supported. I see another person getting saved. I see another family getting baptized. No, Zacchaeus couldn't do one thing about the way he was born, the height that he had, or the family that he came from. But what he could do was shift his vision. See, I'm convinced that you could spend the rest of your life complaining that you aren't tall enough, talented enough, anointed enough, gifted enough. You can complain that you came from the wrong family, haven't been given the right opportunities, or whatever other excuse the devil will let you have. Or you can take the initiative to shift your perspective by coming up higher so you can see Jesus. You may not have been born with as much as the person sitting next to you, but I got a God who elevates the lowly, shares his table with the orphan, and takes care of the widow. You just need to take the initiative this morning to catch a glimpse of this Jesus. And you know, the higher you go, the more responsibility you have. You know who's not responsible for paying my mortgage? My eight-year-old because he isn't responsible for what he cannot see. You know who's not responsible for making the car payment? My three-year-old. Because she isn't responsible for what she cannot see. But perspective creates responsibility. See, I know where this thing is headed, so now I become responsible to help fund its future. See, when I climb this ladder, I get perspective for this church. I see God's future for this region. I hear God's voice for my family. And I become responsible to conduct my life in such a way that I become a contributor, not just a consumer of what's about to happen next. See, everybody loves revelation, but they don't love the responsibility attached to the revelation they see. When I see it... I become responsible for it. See, God places sycamore trees on your journey of faith. 
and they serve as perspective shifting moments that you must engage with in order to have correct vision for the days that are ahead. Watch, if you get married but your vision stays single, you're in trouble. If you become a believer but your vision stays secular, you're in trouble. If you're a part of a growing church but your vision stays small, you're in trouble. You know what I found? People love the theory of a growing church, but they don't like the practice of a growing church. I showed up on Sunday and I always park in the same spot and then I had to park four blocks away because I was late because I needed a coffee on the way to church and I'm just upset that my spot was taken. And then I walked into service and my chair was taken. It's a row that I paid for. If it don't have my name on it, it should. This is where I always sit. This is where my friends are always at. I know I talk about making room for one more, but all of a sudden my comfort got assaulted by somebody who got here early. Now watch. If we grow a big church, but we don't also grow big people, the primary feeling that you will have being a part of this community is the feeling of being left behind. But I can't force you to grow, and I can't force you to develop. But what I can do is say, friend, there's a sycamore tree that God planted well before you were ever born. And it has grown up just for this moment. And it's been planted right in the middle of your journey. And if you'll take the initiative to come up a little higher, you can get God's perspective on the events of your life. And you can go from complaining about growth to contributing to growth so you can be a part of what God desires to do in the Northwest. Yeah, I remember when we started one service here, I just prayed people would show up. Then all of a sudden it started to grow and I thought maybe we'll do two services. I hope people show up. And then it was three and then it was four and then it was five and now with Seattle it's six. And I had to come back to that place with the Lord where I so solemnly believe that as long as there is a family without a church to call home, the pursuit has a reason to grow. As long as there is a prodigal who has not yet come back to the Father, there is a reason for the pursuit to grow. As long as there is a lost person who hasn't yet found Jesus, there is a reason for the pursuit to grow. We are not building a church to insulate our comfort, but to do violence against the principalities and powers of darkness. And you can have revival or you can have comfort, but you can't have both. So God's planted some sycamore trees and they've been growing for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And we can either see them as a nuisance to our journey or the opportunity to upgrade our perspective so I can see what God sees. And for me and my house, we're gonna climb a ladder and get God's perspective for the days ahead. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I am staying at your house. So he made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. But when they saw it, watch, they all complained, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. 
I love the boldness of Jesus to invite himself over to the house of Zacchaeus. Out of the thousands of people in the crowd, Jesus makes time for the one. And the Bible says Zacchaeus received him joyfully. It's almost as if you can see shame coming off Zacchaeus as he climbs down that tree. It's almost as if his whole life has led him up to this point, and in an instance, he would seize his opportunity to become whole. It is only when shame lifts off a person's identity that their heart becomes available to be healed, and Jesus is in the business of healing hearts. I know the work that lays ahead of us. I also understand that if I can't find joy in serving the Lord, this path is unsustainable. In Hebrews 12, Paul says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Man, church is hard work. Following Jesus, not easy. Trying to take new territory, not always fun. But when I'm here on Sunday morning and I close my eyes and I see in the spirit, the primary emotion that I feel is a joy that comes from the Lord. Knowing that every ounce of sweat, blood, and tears is going to be worth it for the lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. When I close my eyes, I sense the joy of the Lord, which the Bible says is my strength. I feel it rise up when I preach. I preach the same way at fourth service. I preach the same way at fifth service. I'll preach the same way at sixth service. People say, how do you do it? For the joy that was set before me. When I close my eyes, I see a region coming into transformation and it makes it worth it to follow this Jesus. And I would implore you today, return to the joy of your first love. Return to the joy of your salvation because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he says, come unto me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Following Jesus is an exercise in expedient joy, and it makes this path sustainable. Sometimes we think we get spiritual extra credit if we tell people how miserable it is to follow God. Well, I'm doing it, but I'm not happy. Well, I'm going to give, but I'm not cheerful. Now listen, you don't have to come to church. You get to come to church. Listen, you don't have to serve. You get to serve. No, listen, you don't have to sow. You get to sow. Listen, you don't have to get here early to find a spot. You get to come here early to find a spot. There's a lot of churches in the region that wish their primary problem was not enough parking spots. And we've got it. And I'm going to keep my joy until God gives us a bigger building on a bigger property. Come on, friend. That's who we are. Are you a friend of sinners? If not, you should be. Hear me. Friendship without intentionality sets you on a pathway towards apostasy. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he discipled them, not the other way around. Watch, verse 8, let me end here. 
Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I'll give half my goods to the poor. If I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. You know what's crazy? Jesus never mentions money once to Zacchaeus. He doesn't teach on it. He doesn't take an offering. He doesn't criticize Zacchaeus for being selfish. Jesus just shows up in his house. But when the firstborn of all creation walks into the room, there are some things that don't even need to be said because the presence of God makes the case for itself. This is worthwhile investing in. See, I'm convinced that the best way to motivate generosity in this church is for you to catch a glimpse of this Jesus. Climb the ladder with me this morning and catch a glimpse of how good this God has been in your life. Watch how the story ends. The Bible says this in verse nine. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to your house because he also is a son of Abraham and the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You might not know this this morning, but to me, this is the most impactful part of the story. Do you know that church history records that Zacchaeus left the tax business and he became a ministry companion of the apostle Peter and later he became the bishop of Caesarea. That's the power of catching a glimpse of Jesus who was walking through your city. You know, Zacchaeus' name in the Hebrew, it means pure one or innocent. And when Jesus walks into his house, he restores the original identity of Zacchaeus as a son of purity and a son of innocence. That's the power of catching a glimpse of a God who is walking through your city. I know what the crowds say about the Northwest. I know what the religious leaders say about the Northwest, but I've got a childlike faith that is just foolish enough to believe that if God did it back then, he can do it today. I know what they've said, but there's a deeper identity that is more true. I know what they've said about you. I know how they've tried to cancel you. I know how they've tried to criticize you. I know how they've tried to hang your sin and shame over your head. But Jesus says over you today, you are a son or a daughter of Abraham. You are pure and you are innocent and you are at the right place at the right time to get a new perspective for what God desires to do in your future. Watch. Here's what I'm asking for you from next week. Whatever the master tells you to do, be quick to obey because this is our moment to climb the ladder and catch a glimpse of God's future for the Pacific Northwest. Come on, friend, we're gonna come up higher. We're gonna respond to the upward call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We're gonna respond yes and amen to all of his commands. We're gonna say, here I am, send me to all of his requests. And if he will be our God, we will be his people and to the increase of his kingdom and government, there will be no end. Come on, would you stand with me as we close this morning? There's a tree this morning 
and you've got an invitation to climb. There's a ladder this morning and you've got an invitation to ascend. There's an opportunity for you today, friend, to shift your perspective, to change your vision and to see what God sees. Come on, let's pray. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask for your ever-present help in our time of need. God, we submit ourselves to you today, knowing that you are the author and the finisher and you are not done yet. God, we thank you for the days ahead. I pray that what you would create in us would be a joy and a love and a hope that follows in pursuit of you. God, we commit ourselves to you, mind, body, soul, spirit, heart, everything we have, we offer it to you as our reasonable sacrifice. And we pray that you would do your best work in us. God, we're gonna be quick to give you all the glory and honor because you were there before, you will be there after, and you will be there every step in between. God, I thank you that we were simply created for this moment. And God, by your spirit, I pray that you would help us not miss the invitation of the ages. God, we wanna come up higher and see what you see. We want to come up higher and see the rabbi walking with power moving in our city. We want to come up higher and see your heart for the Northwest. We want to come up higher and see your heart for our families and our future. And God, we commit to you in this moment to be everything that you've asked us to be and to do everything that you've asked us to do. We commit to these things now in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. And I bet, friend, if you're here today and you'd like...